Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello again. I'm John Gidley and welcome to another trip into the football attic. If you were with me last time, you'll remember that we talked about some pretty great football, a 1969 game between the 10-1 Vikings and the 11-0 Rams. Well, today we're going to balance things out and talk about one, or make that two, of the worst football teams ever to take the field. Those were the Houston Oilers of 1972 and 73. First, a little backstory. In case you don't know, the Houston Oilers are currently the Tennessee Titans. The Oilers were founded by Bud Adams as a charter member of the American Football League, the upstart AFL, in 1960, and they played 36 years in Houston before moving to Tennessee in 1997. At first, the nickname didn't change, and they were called the Tennessee Oilers. But after two seasons, everyone realized that oil isn't equated with Tennessee like it is with Texas. So in 1999, the nickname of Titans was adopted. Now, I've always found the Houston Oilers to be a fascinating case because it always seemed like they were at either extreme— in terms of their level of play. In other words, they were rarely mediocre. Either they were really good or really, really bad. In their first three seasons in the AFL from 1960 to 62, the Oilers went 31-8-1 and and won each of the first two AFL championships. That was their first great era. The second was from 1978 to 1980, the period in which Oiler fans adopted the slogan, Love Ya Blue. They were coached by Bum Phillips, and their star player was running back Earl Campbell. In those three seasons, Campbell averaged almost 1,800 rushing yards and 16 touchdowns per season. He was unstoppable in this time period. They went to the playoffs in each of those three seasons, but came up short each time, most notably losing to their arch-rival Pittsburgh in back-to-back AFC championship games. The third great era of Oilers football was from 1987 to 1993, when they were led by quarterback Warren Moon and implemented an offense known as the run-and-shoot. They made the playoffs in each of those seven seasons, but never made it past the AFC divisional round. In these eras, it was great to be a fan of the Houston Oilers, though it always meant heartbreak come January. Now, to match those three great eras, there were three dreadful time periods. One of them was from 1982 to 84. Mercifully for Houston, the 1982 regular season was cut in half by a player strike. Otherwise, they may have been remembered as one of the worst teams ever. In those three seasons, the Oilers' combined record was 6-35. and They also went 5-11 in both 1985 and 86, which isn't good, but it wasn't as dreadful as those teams from 82 to 84. Fast forward to 1994, when the Oilers leader, Warren Moon, was traded to Minnesota. This was basically the end of the Houston Oilers. After going 12-4 in 1993, they bottomed out by going 2-14 in 94. Their final two seasons in Houston were mediocre. They went 7-9 in 1995 and 8-8 in 96 but the fan base became extremely apathetic due to both an uninspiring team and swirling rumors that the Oilers would soon be leaving for Tennessee. 
1996, their final season in Houston, the average attendance for home games at the Astrodome was just under 32,000. Compare that to the average crowds of between 55 and 60,000 they were drawing just a few seasons before, and that's a pretty steep drop. The final home game in Houston Oilers franchise history, a 21-13 loss to the Cincinnati Bengals on December 15, 1996, drew only 15,131 fans, a sad ending for the star-crossed franchise. As bad as both of those aforementioned eras are, however, no Houston Oilers teams were ever worse than the two that took the field in 1972 and 73. Both of those teams finished the regular season with one win and 13 losses. The Oilers had been slipping prior to this. They went 3-10-1 in 1970 and 4-9-1 in 71, but 72 and 73 were when the bottom completely dropped out. It all began in the 1972 offseason when the Oilers hired Bill Peterson to be their head coach. Prior to this, Peterson had absolutely no experience in the NFL, either as a coach or a player. He spent five years coaching high school football in Ohio, then four years as an assistant coach at LSU, before taking the head coaching job at Florida State in 1960. Long before Bobby Bowden, Bill Peterson was the one who put Florida State football on the map. He coached the Seminoles for 11 seasons and left with a career record of 62, 42, and 11. For just one season in 1971, he coached the Rice University football team, also in Houston, going only 3-7-1 before leaving to take the Oilers' job. Now, you could argue that it wasn't entirely Peterson's fault having inherited one of the worst rosters in the league. At the same time, however, players and reporters both recall that he seemed intimidated by the NFL and never really had either his words or his bearings straight. He once told the players to stand on their helmets with the sideline under their arms as the national anthem was played. Another time, he perplexed the team by calling for a punt on third down. In 1972, the Oilers ranked second to last in the NFL in both points scored and points allowed. The average final score of an Oilers game that year was 27-12 to 12 in favor of the other team, of course. The most points they scored in 72 were 26 in their only victory of the season, a 26-20 to 20 win over the Jets in Week 3. The next week, the Oilers hosted the Oakland Raiders on Monday Night Football and were humiliated in front of a national audience. Quarterback Dan Pastorini completed only three passes on 21 attempts with 31 passing yards and four interceptions, one more interception than completed pass. Houston gained only 89 total yards and a 34 to nothing defeat. Towards the end of the game, the ABC cameras began to pan the near-empty Astrodome. They zeroed in on a fan who was sleeping. When he woke up, he realized he was on camera and gave the middle finger. This caused announcers Frank Gifford, Howard Cosell, and Don Meredith to crack up, with Meredith quipping, they're number one in the nation. This was one of two instances that season in which the Oilers laid a goose egg. Four weeks later, they were shut out by the Browns in Cleveland 20 to nothing. The next week, they lost 18 to 17 at home to the equally embarrassing Philadelphia Eagles. All of the Eagles' points came on six Tom Dempsey field goals. The 1972 Oilers season was put out of its misery on December 17th with a 61 to 17 defeat at home to Cincinnati. As I perused Houston's final statistics for the season, I noticed that all of their running backs, along with a few quarterbacks and receivers, combined for only 1,518 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. That's among 11 players. That's typically the stat line for one good running back. This is 11 players that we're talking about. For comparison, the defense allowed almost 2,600 rushing yards and 23 rushing touchdowns. Now, normally, when you win only one game all season, you're bound to improve the next year. Uh, but there was nothing normal about these Houston Oilers. They were about the same as the 2017 Browns, who went 1-15 in 2016, then went 0-16 the next year. After an 0-5 start in 1973, Bill Peterson was fired as head coach, 
and replaced by Sid Gilman, who had previously won an AFL championship with the San Diego Chargers. Gilman wasn't much of an improvement as the Oilers still won only one game all season. That was a 31-27 victory at the Baltimore Colts on November 4th. The offense was just as bad as it was in 72, but the defense was somehow even worse, allowing an average of 32 points per game. Over a five-week stretch from late September to late October, Houston gave up 192 points in five games. That's an average of 38 points per those five games. In 10 starts in 1973, quarterback Dan Pastorini lost all 10, throwing just five touchdown passes to 17 interceptions. It led Pastorini to wonder if he was playing the right sport, as he had been offered a baseball contract by the New York Mets before being drafted by the Oilers in the 1971 NFL draft. Fortunately for Pastorini and the rest of the Oilers, their future began to change almost immediately. After starting 1-5 in 1974, they finished the year winning 6-8 of eight for an even record of 7-7. Seven and seven. In 1975, Houston finished 10-4, but missed the playoffs. This was because they lost both of their games against division rivals Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. The Steelers finished 12-2 on their way to winning the Super Bowl, and the Bengals went 11-3 to take the AFC's only wildcard spot. 0-4 against the Steelers and Bengals in 1975, but 10-0 against the rest of the NFL. A perfect summation of life as a fan of the Houston Oilers. Thanks for joining me for this trip into the football attic, and I hope I'll see you again next week. In the meantime, check out all the other great podcasts here on the Sports History Network and follow me on Twitter at JFG Sports. I always love to talk football and its history. For now, this is John Gidley. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned... We're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know, that can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website, seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at Sports. HistoryNetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to SportsHistoryNetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.